Hi, and welcome to the European Tours Life on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Porter, and today I'm joined by one of the stalwarts of the European Tour. He's had three wins on the European Tour. He's a Ryder Cup hero, and he's one of the all-round good guys. Jamie Donaldson, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ewan. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Now, I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly. You were born and raised in Pontypridd, is that right? Just outside of Cardiff in Wales? Yeah, Pontypridd. Ponty Pre, I knew I'd get something wrong there, but uh, look, we, we, <laughs> we know Wales has an abundance of uh, fantastic golf courses. Uh, how did you get started in the game? Uh, my dad played, uh, he played off, I think he got down to about five handicap, um, and he played a lot of his golf in South Wales. Uh, and then I think, I think he was actually playing the Winter League while my mum was having me in hospital. So there's something in there, um, you know, and then we moved away. We moved from Wales to London area uh, and then I didn't play golf there either. We moved up north to the northwest of England uh, and I started playing there with, uh, you know, I used to caddy for him a little bit, um, you know, watching him throwing clubs up trees and stuff. He had a terrible temper, <laughs> which I think is where I got it from in my early days of golf. It's not too bad these days. Uh, but I remember climbing trees to get his clubs back for him, which was which I thought was great fun. Uh, but through that and through caddying and through watching, uh, you know, I, I got into it that way. And that's what started me off, really. Well, look, growing up, I know you mentioned that you were growing up there, starting to play in the northwest of England. But when you were playing junior golf and amateur golf uh, in Wales, you were you were playing at a similar time to the likes of Bradley Dredge, uh, Nigel Edwards, Gary Houston, Mark Pilkington, Liam Bond, uh, a lot of really, really good players who went on to have a lot of success. So I imagine that the junior ranks and, and the amateur scene uh, prior to turning pro was pretty competitive. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I was travelling up and down the country playing in, you know, as many different Welsh Order of events as I could, which opened up a lot of doors, which helped me, um, you know, progress and come on in golf and yeah, I played with a lot of those lads and we had some uh, great times. Um, you know, I played a lot of golf with Gary Houston. Dredgy had just turned pro as I started to come on the scene. Uh, Nigel Edwards was a uh, foursomes partner of mine. Uh, David Park was a foursomes partner of mine, now works on the on the European tour. So, you know, it was really competitive. But, you know, those days in amateur golf was great fun, um, you know, playing against those guys. I remember Whitney beat uh, Gary Houston beating me. Um, coming down the last couple of holes in the, the, I think the semi-final of the Welsh Amateur, which he's never let me live down. Uh, now caddying for Thomas Bjorn, obviously. And um, yeah, you know, it was great fun. Load of good lads. Um, and yeah, like you say, really competitive, really good fun. Uh, but those days, I mean, amateur golf, it's more about, you know, going out having a few beers than, uh, than spending too long practising. But that was many moons ago. <laughs> Did you all grow up idolising uh, the Welsh wizard, Woozy, and did you have some sort of rapport with him from early on? Um, not really, because obviously, you know, in those days, he was at the top of his powers sort of thing. And uh, he played, he was on the tour playing sort of world number one at the time. We, um, you'd sort of get on and do your own thing. He would, um, you know, you'd obviously know about what he was doing on the world golf stage. And it sort of inspired us all to uh, to to play and practice hard to try and aspire to be in those sort of places. Uh, watching him, you know, smash Ryder Cups, you know, winning the Masters and all that. Um, but he didn't have much to do with uh, the amateur scene because obviously he was very busy. But 
um, you know, we we did our own thing, and and like I say, all aspiring to 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 be where he was. Well, you turned pro in two thousand, aged twenty four. Uh, were you always going to be a golf professional, or was there something else on the horizon for you? I always wanted to do something in golf, um, but to be, I always wanted to be a club pro. Really, uh, that was me heading towards. Um, you know, working in shop, I, I did a lot of shop work back in the day. I, I worked in different golf centres and then I worked at the shop at the golf club locally. Um, and I was always going to do my PJ training uh, and become, uh, you know, a club pro locally. Um, but, I, I mean, I didn't have the academic qualifications to even start the course. And at the time of looking down that avenue, um, you needed academic qualifications to kick off. And... Uh, and at the time that I was offered a job at a local golf club to do the apprenticeship, uh, knowing that I'd have to go, go back to school and do a bit more, um, you know, to have to do maths and English to start the golf, start the course. And uh, my golf at the time started to progress in the right way. But I was always going to go down that route. And obviously there was a few complications at the time. Um, so I started playing and the golf was picking up and, and that was me off and running. Uh, thinking, oh, there might be a chance that I can do this for a living, and um, I just—I think at the time I was about eighteen and nineteen, you know, a time where it was a good time to start PGA training and things like that. But things started to progress, and and I just kept playing, and then um, you know, my career started to evolve from about eighteen. I was quite a late starter, you know. I, was, I think when I was about sixteen, I was off seven handicaps, so I was no. Uh, trialed prodigy by any stretch of the imagine, imagination. I remember talking to Manasero on the golf course only a few years back, saying, "You know, I was um, when I was sixteen, I was off seven. We had you know, this conversation of what how good you were when you were younger." I said, "What were you doing?" And he said, oh, "I was playing in the Masters." Yeah, you know, he just won the <laughs> British Amateur. Now he's playing in the Masters. So, you know, it doesn't mean um, that you're going to do it or not do it. Obviously, you've got a better chance if you're really good when you're younger. Um, but, you know, also you've got to be patient and work hard. And as long as it's you're progressing, you're progressing in the right way. It's just how fast you're doing it. Well, before we get on to your playing career, I've got to ask you, were you a good salesman? Uh, yeah, I was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I was pretty good. Yeah, um, I was. it was down the sort of um, not necessarily the bully, bullying tactic, but um, I could always talk them into buying something. But, you know, I really enjoyed it at the time. Um and a lot of my mates do it still. Um, you know, I, that was me. But career, you always wanted to be able to play, but you never know how good you're going to be until you're put there in competition. Mm. Well, look, your, your first year out playing was in uh, 2001 on the Challenge Tour. Uh, two wins, six top fives, finished second in the rankings. That same year, you also recorded two top tens on the European tour. That's that's a hell of a lot of success straight off the bat. Uh, do you feel like waiting that little bit longer to turn pro until you were 24, 25 by then helped in that regard? Yeah, possibly. I mean, when I was about 21, I was playing really well. Um, I think I'd won the Welsh Amateur then and we started to, to perform in bigger national events. And I was, wasn't far off ready then, but I think I waited another year and then went, then the golf dipped and by the time... It took until I was 24 to get some sort of form back because obviously turning pro, you've got to be striking while the iron's hot and have a great season and then just naturally progress into playing professional golf. And the two years before uh, 22, when I was 23, um, I was terrible. It was looking like 
not playing professional golf at all. So it took a while and a, and a drilling off my mother, I remember back in the day, to uh, to get me fired up and, and to play, you know, golf and uh, well at a high standard to be able to just turn pro and get going, you know. Gee, mum knows best, right? Yeah, she, she gave me a right drilling. I remember um, I was hitting balls somewhere and she comes up to me and she says, um, you know, it's I think it's time you got a proper job. You know, the kind of conversation. And I was devastated. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is me. I'm actually going to have to do something different. And you always got dreams of playing um, professional golf. And by this time, you know, I'd had flashes of where it had been really good and then dipped a little bit. And suddenly you think, you know, sometimes... Uh, you need a bit of a kick in the pants to to get you going and I started dedicating myself a bit more and um you know less maybe going out to the pub having drink drinking with your mates and stuff and ra- and just practicing harder and uh that year I had the best year as an amateur and then I turned pro and yeah that was just my time for when I was going to do it well, I hope you've uh, repaid your mother there. That was uh, some very strong wisdom uh, coming coming through on her part. But look, two, 2002, 2003, very steady. Three top tens, comfortably kept, kept your card out on the European tour. 2004, a little bit more uh, of, a, of a struggle, but primarily with a back injury. Was it ever career-threatening or was it just something you, you needed to step away and take some time off to get sorted? Yeah, I mean, some people said it was. I, I went to see all sorts of different people um, to find, um, you know, the right uh, answers to uh, to why it kept. I kept having so many problems. I had a lot of problems in '03, but managed to finish the season. And then start of '04, it wasn't great. Um, you know, I had a lot of time off there. I think what six or seven months off the out of the game. But you see all these different people, and I remember going to see one surgeon in London, and he said, "Listen." This game's not for you because of your condition. Um, do something else. So, you know, you, you hear people say that. You go, OK, I'll go and see somebody else. You, you you keep looking for someone to find the right answer, don't you? Not the wrong answer. You don't uh, suddenly listen, take that on board and think, OK, I'll do something else. So I went to see all sorts of different people. And um, eventually one guy said, listen, if you do a load of, you know, stability work, you might just be able to play uh, without the pain and, and be OK. So... That's what I did. I took a year out doing that and um, eventually, you know, that helped and was a- I was able then to have a long career, you know, taking tablets here and there and having episodes, but nothing as bad as it was back then. Oh, look, by 2007, you were back on the Challenge Tour. Uh, you won again out there in Guatemala. Four top fives, uh, easily got promoted uh, back to the European Tour. But how difficult was it? having spent five or six seasons out on the European tour to be relegated back in your early 30s? Yeah, it was difficult. Um, you know, but you've got choices. You're there for a reason, aren't you? I was. I dropped back down to the Challenge Tour because it had such a bad season. So you have to change things. And I remember um, everything that I did, I, I, diff- I had a management group, psychologists, um, coaches, everybody that I worked with, I changed because everything that I was doing wasn't working. I remember doing loads of time in the gym. I was doing loads of practice. Even when you miss the cut, you'd come home and practice. Um, but at the time, whatever I was doing wasn't working. So I went from, from one extreme to the other. In the following year, I changed a coach. Um, I didn't. I d- went, left the management company, didn't use a psychologist, um, stopped going in the gym, stopped practicing as much. So everything I did was the opposite. And suddenly... 
it turned around for the better. And I used 2007 as a practice season with my, you know, sort of new way of doing things. And um, it all turned around and then I was able to um, get back on the tour and head off in the right direction with a newfound way of doing things. It's actually a really interesting point because, uh, you know, I know for myself having played over 10 years and I have a lot of junior golfers that say to me, you know, what do I need to do in order to be successful or what have you? And, and for me, my, my theory is always don't stray too far from what you did when you were younger that made you good in the first place because I know a lot of guys, including myself, you go out there and I know when I was playing in the US, I'd see guys beating balls, you know, 200 balls a day and grinding for hours on end. And that was never ever me as a junior, but all of a sudden I figured that's what I had to do. But that's not necessarily the case, right? No, it's not. Um, it's whatever works for you. And the secret to this game, I think, is is finding finding that blueprint. Um, and you can only do that through experience and trial and error, trying all different things. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys pound the gym now and for me, it didn't really work. I'd do little bits here and there, but not a lot. Um, never have done, really. Um, you know, so I did a lot and then I did less or more or less ground it down to a halt. Um, and, you know, I worked with different psychologists and stuff. It didn't help me massively. Um, you know, so you've got to experience and try all these things. And without doing it, you'll never know. So there's a lot of people out there that say you must do this you must do that um but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody um i remember i think the only thing that really works is hard work and that you know you've got to but it's the hard work in the right areas it's putting all your energy into the areas that you need to that help you move on um to help you kick on there's no point if you're a great uh, driver of the golf ball to just stand there and pound drivers on the range all day uh, you know, if your short game's weak, you just have to put all your energy into that, you know, and things like that. So it's energy applied into the right areas to for success. Well, the 2008, when you returned to the European Tour, from that point through till July 2012, you accumulated 22 top 10 finishes uh, on tour before finally getting across the line at Royal Port Rush in that, uh, in that Irish Open. Having knocked on the door so many times... Describe the emotions uh, finally getting it done after over a decade as a pro. Yeah, it was it was immense. Um, I, I, I yeah, I certainly did a lot of drinking with friends after that for quite a while. Um, it was a long time coming, and I don't know you. You, uh, I remember ch changing a few things. I had a new caddy that week. It was his first week on the bag, and that helped. He, he um, helped me massively at the time. Uh, but sometimes, you know, a bit of a change. Not necessarily the old guy wasn't. Gr good but he was he was great uh, but we'd been, worked together for four or five years and um, sometimes you know having somebody new on the bag uh, makes a huge difference because it's just a bit of a fresh way of doing things um, but you know it took a long time but it's amazing I look back at my early years of playing professional golf and you know versus the young lads now that take things so seriously and that so much more professional than I was that a lot of us were uh, early on in those early 2000s it was you know Tuesday was out drinking night Wednesday was rest day if you made the cut um, you know you were obviously there for the weekend if you weren't it was looking for how many people you could get together for a Friday drinking session and then Saturday was a rest day um, 
but going out again Saturday night. Uh, Sunday was rest, and then the following week you'd do the same thing again if you were away on the road somewhere. You know, now that that sort of that doesn't happen at all. And um, it was only when I started in say 2012 that sort of time, looking at things more seriously and being more professional, that the the golf started kicking on in the right direction. Well, look, the good form uh, after that Irish Open continued because it wasn't long after that that uh, you, you recorded your best major finish. You finished top 10 at Kiowa in the US PGA. But uh, obviously that did wonders for, for your confidence. But I'm also interested to know what was it that particular week that was so uh, that was so appealing to Europeans because Rory dominated, Dave Lynn was second, Poltz, Rosie, Carl Pedersen third, yourself and Peter Hansen were tied seventh. There was obviously something in South Carolina that week that was uh, very fondly received by European golfers. Yeah, I remember it was quite open uh, off the tee, but tough, but windy. So, you know, that that's the way, that's, you know, the kind of golf courses that we play on week in, week out in Europe. I mean, uh, the wind made a huge difference for and helped all the Europeans. And, you know, that's why we played so well. But it was just a really... It was a cool atmosphere. You weren't too far away from a few um, sort of restaurants and uh, bars and stuff. So a lot of people were out. It was a really friendly sort of atmosphere and, you know, um, tailor-made for European golf. You've mentioned bars and going out and having a couple of pints here or there uh, quite a bit. On a serious note, do you think that's something that's helped with the longevity of your career and guys who came before you? Because I know... Certainly being an Australian, uh, you know, guys like Wayne Grady, Roger Davis, uh, who, who I looked up to as a junior. That was Jack Newton as well. That was, cert- that was certainly part of their routine when they were out playing. And, I mean, those guys were playing 35, 40 tournaments a year and never complained about being burned out. And they were playing, I mean, right through to they were 60 years old quite successfully. Is, is there something to that, do you think? Um, I mean, you know... I go out and I'll have a glass of wine or I'll have a beer. I won't have many uh, nowadays. Um, I haven't done for quite a while. I mean, I think it was Wentworth week this year. I was drinking water all week, which was the first. Um, but it's, it seemed to help with um, with energy levels a little bit. Sometimes you feel a bit groggy, um, you know, if you've had a couple of beers at night. But I'll just mix it up. So occasionally I'll have a couple. Uh, never too many in a tournament week. Um, it's usually pretty professional nowadays because you because you have to be, because everybody else is being so. Um, but certainly more past uh, sort of history than there was definitely a lot more to be said about that. But it was more so early days rather than, you know, when as soon as Tiger comes along in, the, you know, sort of late 90s, 2000, things started changing golf in general, didn't it? Everybody started gymming it, even the caddies were gymming it. Even now, you know, uh, the caddies are all ripped and, or not necessarily ripped, but a lot of them are very fit compared to they were, say, when when I started, no caddy would even dream of going to the gym and never mind the players, you know. Uh, but nowadays, both uh, the players and the caddies are gymming it. So, but it's like I say, it's each to his own. I've grown up the other way, which was um, uh, the, the, the not so battering the gym every night and things like that. Um, and so therefore, I've never really felt the need. Occasionally, I'll get on a bike and do quite a lot of cycling. Um, and I certainly need to do a, a occasional bits of cardio stuff uh, because, you know, you do need a level and I'm not getting any younger. I'm 46 now, so uh, you definitely need to do little bits, certainly. 
to not be uh, so you're not blowing walking around a golf course certainly um you know, but it's, it's again, it's each to his own. If you if if you just if you if the gym doesn't help you and you like a beer, then go and have a beer. You know, you just might play great on it, but you know, as long as it's not too many. Um, but then again, everybody's different. Yeah, exactly. Look, you you may have waited over a decade for that first win, but you only had to wait another six months for that second victory at the 2013 Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship. Uh, later in 2013, you were runner-up in the Turkish Airlines Open. Seven top tens that year, sixth in the race to Dubai. I mean, at this point, you're 37, 38 years old. You, you must have legitimately felt that you were a chance of winning every single week you teed it up. Uh, yeah, at the time, uh, everything was really good. Um, you know, the, you up, I was up there most weeks, as that uh, record suggests. Um, so, yeah, I mean... That's just that was the peak. If you look back, I peaked sort of that fourteen, fifteen, that sort of time, um, which had been I think it was something like eight years of increased world ranking order merit finishes. Um, so it was on a a nice path to a po- a peak of sort of fourteen, fifteen time. Um, you know, you never know when your best golf's going to come um, in this game at all so you just got to keep pushing and keep working to always trying to get better um you know after that i think 14 season it was difficult um you know i started having a bit more injuries later on you know i've I've fighting wrist problems for a few years until i had an operation and now it's fine again so i'm playing decent again um but you know i'd say with injuries over the whole course of my career i've been lucky Uh, a lot of lads are having problems very a lot younger um i had back problems early but managed to get around that wrist problems managed to get around that so some people haven't you know don't have that luxury where they've had operations and have not been able to come back from it um so i feel as though i've been lucky in that respect and uh you just keep pushing to try and um get better all the time well you alluded to 2014 you started the 2014 season uh coming off your best year in 2013 you started with a runner-up at the Nedbeg Challenge in South Africa. And then uh, early in 2014, you uh, you recorded your best finish on US soil where you were tied second at the WGC Cadillac at Doral uh, in Miami. And I remember that week, it was playing absolutely brutal that week. Patrick Reed won with minus four. So you and Bubba Watson only missed a playoff by uh, a single shot. Uh, not long after that, top 15 at the Masters and... At this point in your career, I mean, having, like I mentioned, having played for over a decade and having having experienced the ups and downs and, and the emotional roller coaster uh, that comes with being a professional golfer, it was obviously very satisfying and gratifying knowing that you could take your game anywhere in the world and compete with the best. Yeah, yeah, at the time, yeah. Um, you know, it was, con- you know, I just kept opening new doors you know the Irish Open back in 12 opened doors and you suddenly got in the top 50 in the world you know it helps winning I think I won four times in four years over that sort of time period which makes a huge difference in pushing your world rankings to get you in all these big tournaments you know to not be in the top 50 in the world it it seems then it's very difficult to be able to progress on uh, world ranking and European money lists and things like that. So, you know, 
yes, at the time I was able to, you know, sort of take the game and compete in a lot of different places all over the world, which was fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's all around that top 50 in the world sort of stuff. You can, you can be playing in that and not playing great and still flying on, on, on different um, money lists around the world. Um, but if you're not in it, it seems to be very difficult to, to make any progressions personally in your career. Your third European Tour victory came just prior to the 2014 Ryder Cup at the Czech Masters. And, and knowing that a debut appearance at a Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles was a very real proposition, how much of a driving force was that for you each week you teed it up? Yeah, I mean, over that calendar season, every time you, um, every, every time you play, you know that you have to perform to be able to get in that team. And it's the hardest thing about getting that Ryder Cup is getting in the team. It's like top 50 in the world. Once you're in there, it's hard to fall out. But one, but if you're not in it, it's really difficult to get in. And it's the same with the Ryder Cup. I was physically and mentally exhausted the time that I'd got in because I felt it as, as though it had taken so much out of me just to get in the team. I think I'd played the best golf I'd ever played uh, and I'd just scraped in by one place. Um, you know, so knowing to go to the Czech Masters, knowing that I think I had to finish top eight, uh, otherwise I wasn't in. And I spoke to McGinley and he said, listen, the chances are you might not get a pick because you're a rookie and you're 40. Um, you know, so he said, you need to play yourself in. So you've got to go and finish top eight in Czech. And I uh, went there, played great and managed to, you know, win the tournament, which was the icing on the cake. All right, well, we'll touch upon the Ryder Cup here in a second. But when you look back at those glory years from really from 2012 through 2014, do you have any any regrets uh, perhaps from those years or anything that you may have changed in, in the years after that you wish you could uh, replicate again? Um, it's probably been the years before where I'd, I suppose, I don't know, you look back, but I wasn't very professional early on in my career. I was and I wasn't. Um, it was a case of a little bit of not being that professional and a little bit of um, over-practicing and overworking to try and be... Um, I suppose it wasn't too bad a balance. I worked hard, but I played hard sort of attitude. Um, but the working too hard uh, made gave me back problems. And it took so long to work out my um, best way of performing that it took 10 years to do that type thing. Um, so even longer um, so I was a sort of a late developer and I think you know having kids um, made a massive difference to me because you you're more grounded and you know and at the time I hadn't won and I couldn't have you know looked you know you're talking about your career when you've finished I wanted more to be able to say to my kids um, when I was done than if I hadn't if I'd hadn't done it you know what I mean you know when it was all finished mm. type thing I wanted to be able to say to them this is what I did because at the time before I had them you know I, I hadn't won on the main European tour um, and I was doing okay but I wasn't doing well enough and it's that grounding uh, it made a huge difference to me to inspire me to do better all right well let's get to the the Ryder Cup 2014 Glen Eagles, obviously one of the most special weeks of your life. Uh, seven of the 12 European uh, Ryder Cup team members that week had been on the team in 2012, uh, the miracle at, at Medina. What was the, the team bond like there from day one? And was it intimidating 
coming into into the side at all? Uh, I just I was remember so happy just to get to get in and the lads when all the Europeans to come together the bonding is incredible even the guys that you didn't know as well um, even though you know most of the team pretty well um, you know the bonding is incredible the the team the you know the in the team room, the cracks great fun. Everyone's prattling about, messing about, winding each other up, joke, playing jokes, pranks on each other, that type of thing. It's a very relaxed atmosphere and an atmosphere that was similar playing team golf for like international matches when you played amateur stuff. So it just felt to me that because I love that team environment when we played, you know, played for Wales or you played for uh, Great Britain and Ireland as an amateur. You know, I love that environment and it was just that on steroids so you know you, you're with all the guys that you're competing against all year to try and beat and now they're on your side and that power and uh embracement and uh bonding between everybody is just like nothing else you know it was great as an amateur but as a pro to do that and to play in that uh team with all those guys that you know a lot of guys with masses of experience like you said was just such a buzz well, your partner that week for three of the matches was Lee Westwood, and he played his first Ryder Cup 17 years prior to that at, uh, at Valderrama. How instrumental was it having someone with his experience alongside you out there on debut? Oh, yeah, massive. Um, I had choices of different people uh, to play with. Um, you know, the, the captain would always come and speak to you and go, these are your, these are the, uh, your options. Um and Westwood was one of them. I just said, yeah, Westwood, because I'm more sort of chilled, trying to keep myself to myself a little bit on the golf course. I'm not, you know, fist pumping or anything like that and big emotions. I'm generally just, you know, keep your head down, get on with your job type thing. And he's very much like that. He's very chilled. And uh, I remember going, playing um, a couple of holes and in practice and we're getting, going up one hole and there's about 20,000 watching like there is in um, the Ryder Cup. There's so many people and, we're going up a par four at Glen Eagles. He said, at the end of the day, he said, um, it's just another game of golf, isn't it? And you're like, <laughs> just, you know, there's so many people, there's so much pressure, even though it's so much fun. And he says something like that and you're like, well, yeah, it is. And it just calms you down so much. And he was just awesome to play with. And we gelled brilliantly, um, you know, during the, the pairings. And um, yeah, it was just... You know, we both played really, really good. But I remember he saying on the first tee in the foursomes, he said, listen, anything can happen in foursomes. He said, hit the, try and hit the fairway, try and hit the green. You get take your chance. He said, most of the time, level par wins this, or one or two over. You know, if we get around there as a, as a pair, I think we've done pretty well and we'll have a good chance. And I think we were five under um, for our first foursomes game. We were one on the last. So he said, he said on the last green, well, that's just... A, I guess I don't know much at all type conversation. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, but we've just played really good, so it was nice. When when Lee says something like that, do you, in hindsight, do you feel like it it may have wound back your expectations a little bit, thinking that, geez, we've got to go out there and make a ton of birdies to win this. And when he actually says, well, even par one over, you, you think, well, that's very attainable, that's very achievable, and perhaps, uh, you know, no doubt, a little, a little bit instrumental, I'd assume, in, uh, in, in how you performed. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's all you're trying to do is just trying to put it in play and give yourself a chance because it is difficult. But I've not played in the Ryder Cup before and I don't know, you know, the level 
uh, of what it was going to be. So you just go up there and just do your own thing. And um, yeah, that's all you were trying to do, and which is what all you really try and do in normal tournament golf. Um, you know, you're more aggressive in foursomes if your partner's, you know, taking the pressure off you and you can attack a pin a bit more. Um, in four, four ball, sorry. So, you know, in foursomes, it's a different scenario. It's much more... Um, pressurized I, I don't think I really slept much the night before before the foursomes because when you see the list and I think he said it, we were first out in the afternoon I'd been rested in the morning we were first out in the afternoon and you're thinking oh wow you know I'm playing with Westwood and going out first it's like you know you don't sleep at all that week it's so there's so much pressure involved the adrenaline's through the roof um um, but we went out first and played fantastic. So it was just great to get that first point on the board. As a rookie, it means you're going to play again. You know, if you lose that first game, you ain't playing again until the um, until the singles. So it was nice to get the win and, and able to then go again. Well, when they did the draw for the Sunday singles on the, on the Saturday evening, and you saw you'd be uh, paired up against Keegan Bradley, who... I guess at the time he he was essentially Mr. Ryder Cup for uh, for Team USA. What were you what were your thoughts there? And was there any extra motivation going up against him? Um, no, you don't really pay much too much attention with to to who you're playing because, like I say, it, it's so adrenaline fueled. I mean, I remember going down the first, and um, we both hit really good tee shots. Um, we both hit it. Cl- we both hit good shots in, but. Too much adrenaline. Both shots went long, and it was there was we were only hitting like a lob wedge or a gap wedge in. Both shots went long, and I chipped it down to about three feet, and he was about three feet. And I just thought there's so much um, involved, and how important that day is, and and that week is. That we were both three foot from the hole. We both hit great tee shots, great second shots, but the adrenaline is just taking them too far. Um, mm. So I said, "Oh, should we just pick them up?" And he went, he looked at me as if it's like gamesmanship or something. And I'm like, what's the point? You know, let's just go, let's play the game. And, you know, the best guy's going to win, I'm thinking in my head. So hopefully it's me and let's just get on with it. You don't want to be faffing over a couple of three-footers on the first hole. And he went, no, we'll put him out. Because he's thinking, I'm saying it because I'm nervous something. Which, to be honest, by the you're nervous before you play. You're not as bad when you get going. And I went... So we both knocked him in and we moved on. But, you know, he was kind of rattled a bit. He was like, he didn't really know what to... He was thinking, I'm trying to get in his head or what, I don't know. But I'm thinking, let's just not miss these on the first. Let's get on with it. And, um, yeah, he said, put them out. So we both hold and we moved on. But he was kind of... I don't know, he was a bit rattled <laughs> from the off, I think. Well, you obviously... That day is is one that you'll always remember. You, you closed out the winning point for the European Ryder Cup side in style, uh, stiffing that approach into the 15th hole to win your match against Keegan, four and three. I mean, you'd won tournaments all over the world. You'd contended in big championships. How were the emotions winning, not just for yourself and not just for Team Europe, but also an entire continent? Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't, obviously you don't think too much about what's on the line. You just feel what's going through your body at that time. I remember... Having that shot in front of me, I had a chance on the previous green. I did a really good drive. You could drive the green just over the back and I put it up to about eight feet and then misread the putt and didn't hold it. So we're going down 15. Um, McGinley kept saying all week, you know, don't get complacent. Don't go looking at leaderboards. Concentrate on your own game, win your point. 
you know, if it's don't go looking at boards because if you see red, you'll start trying to do things differently. You know, just win your game, concentrate, and then help people with support after. Go and watch other people, but don't get involved with boards and scores as you're playing. So, you know, I remember at the time I've got that wedge shot. He's I'm four up at the time because we'd halved the previous hole. He's hit it to, I don't know, about 20 feet left of the pin. But it's like all the stars align on that shot. You know, I've got wind off the right, my bad shot's left, the pin's right. So it's in the right front corner. Um, I've not hit a wedge shot right all week. Um, so there's no way I can miss the green right. Um, I'm four up. And because I was four up and because the yardage was perfect, the wind's off the right, I draw it. My bad shot's left. If it if it hit a terrible wedge shot, it's just 20 feet left where he is. So I can take... I can play a really aggressive shot of the flag because I can't miss it right. So it's like everything's just aligning perfectly and then the, the, the ball's taken off on a perfect line. Um, and it was able to obviously dance around the hole, which you don't know to what extent how close it is until you're getting closer, nearer the to where the, um, you know, to the, to the green. Because I don't want to be doing cartwheels down the fairway. And as I get down there, you know the ball is is suddenly four feet, not a foot, and he makes and I miss, and it and then it, then you you don't need that sort of things going on when you you know getting ahead of yourself. So um, yeah, to get down there and see the ball close to the pin, obviously you know then it's all over. And um, oh yeah, it was the icing on the cake, big time. I bet, and I remember the following morning you doing a or conducting a a rather amusing interview with a UK breakfast show. So the hours that transpired between then, uh, talk to me about the celebrations and the revelry. Yeah, it was just total obliteration. I remember, I remember, just my brother was with me, and I can pelt him because um, he's my brother. But he passed out in the bar, and he then woke up, projectile vomited in the fireplace at Glen Eagles Hotel, which wasn't cool. And then, you know, I'm watching him do this as we were drinking this very expensive whiskey that we were putting on the tab. Um, and I just tipped mine in a flower pot and managed to stay, stay compass mentis, but still obviously absolutely obliterated, which I was for probably two years after that. <laughs> well, those two years after that, you actually uh, went and uh, took your, your game to the US predominantly. You, uh, you focused on playing over there and you did have... A couple of top 10 finishes at the Players' Championship and the Honda Classic. Uh, very tough golf courses in uh, in Florida. But for the most part, I think it's fair to say that your game didn't quite live up to the hype of those years prior to that. How difficult uh, was it from both a, a golf perspective and a life perspective transitioning to the US full-time? Um, yeah, it was difficult. Um, you know, I'd sort of go out there three or four months a year and live there and take the family. And it was... You know, I enjoyed it at times. I played well in different uh, different venues. Like, those two especially were really good finishes. Um, Doral finish was great. Um, but overall, I think, you know, to I felt as though I wasn't competing enough over there because I was only there, it was a popping in, popping out. Um, I felt as though you had to live there and commit to it full time. Uh, and I wasn't kind of able to do that. And then the kids got too old and they they started school and I wanted to school them in the UK. I didn't really, uh, you know, wasn't planning to school them in America and stay there. I knew because of my age, I was never going to be there for 
possibly that long. Um, it was only going to be temporary. Um, you know, I just love the European lifestyle, uh, the way that we do things over here. You know, in America, they do things very differently. It's much more individual. Uh, there's not so much uh, crack and fun, if you like, of everybody mixing, going out for dinner and things like that. Everyone's sort of, it's uh, room service trays down the corridors and uh, not as much of a fun element. You know, everyone's totally dialed into, uh, you know, performance, which we all are, but you need a bit of fun as well. And I've always lived my life that way. And uh, it probably would never really be any different. And I couldn't dedicate myself to a point of sitting in my room and having room service every night. It just bore the living daylights out of me. And that was the kind of lifestyle. Um, and it wasn't for me. Uh, I did four years of living there, three or four months a year. But, uh, you know, as soon as the kids started to go to school, I knew that um, I couldn't, I didn't want to go away for three, three, I couldn't go away for a month at a time to not see my family um, over the other side of the world. I knew I couldn't do that. And, and I kind of started to switch off then. Uh, with playing over there as much because I didn't want to be going over there for long periods of time, which is what I felt as though you had to do. Uh, I couldn't mm. be going. I, I remember I started going to America early on, when it about 2013, whenever it was, and I was going there three weeks at a time and coming back for two weeks, going back for three, and I found it so difficult uh, with all the jet lag. So living there certainly helped and enabled me and others to to you know to play well over there because you were there for long periods of time but again as soon as the kids started to go to school that was me really well you were back in europe competing full-time in 2017 and you actually finished fourth in your final event at um, valderrama to finish 99th on the race to dubai and essentially uh, keep your playing rights for the following year upon reflection um did any of the Ryder cup heroics or perhaps what transpired in the US in 2015, 2016, did, did any of that carry over? Was there any sort of letdown at all uh, that season? I don't know. I think I think started with a few wrist issues kind of around that time, 17, 18. And um, I remember picking up a lot of little injuries that sort of stopped me doing great. Um, and you know that was another slow season. Lost a bit of interest. I'm not, you know, I did lose interest. Uh, sort of that seventeen, eighteen time around then, because the golf wasn't as good as it was, and y your heights that you've been at playing Ryder Cups and things like that, and playing in all the world events and majors and things. You know that's not there anymore. And then it was became very difficult with little niggling injuries that um, I remember racing round the roundabout outside the Glen Eagles Hotel that night after the Ryder Cup, falling over, battered, dropping my hip on the kerb. My hip wasn't great. I couldn't get through the ball for about six months after that. Uh, I think did my groin in racing, racing somebody outside on the grass. That play, you know, it's things like that that were just... My groin was never the same for a long time. You know, little things like this, just all after, you know, that sort of time that didn't help things. Um but then, and then just losing interest um, because you're not playing as good um, and it just becomes very boring then because you're not, you're away all the time, you're not getting much out of it uh, in a competitive way, you're not, um, you know, financially, you're not getting much out of it either. Um, so, and you're away from the family all the time and it's just dull. 
so it sort of demised into a bit of a lull. But the finish at the end of the year, that was the excitement because I knew I had to finish fourth and uh, to get to get my card and I did. And that was, then you buzz off that again, you get that buzz back again, but it's not enough to to get out of the mire, if you like. Well, look, you, you alluded to the wrist injuries. You did have surgery on your wrist at the end of 2018. Um, 2019, you were outside 130 again on the race to Dubai. You stated in a European tour blog, actually, that you felt you came back too early from, uh, from the wrist surgery. How difficult was it coming back from the surgery? And, and, and how did you know that you did come back too early? Um, I think it was after that. I think the... I can't remember first or second lockdown that we had. I came back after that and it, I was able then to hit the ball properly. I remember coming back after it had been it had been nine, ten months. I can't even remember how long it was. I came back after the surgery and I just couldn't hit the ball the same. I, I didn't get couldn't get any um hit on it. It wasn't going very far. It was awful. Um, you know, but in practice it wasn't too bad, but in tournament play it was dreadful. Um, thinking that's me done then. And we had another lockdown. And then, then when I came back from that, that was another three or four months. It healed a bit more uh, it, and it had got stronger with more physio, more, more you know, rehab. And then it was all right. And then, you know, things started to, I started hitting the ball better and things started to progress in the right direction. Well, if we go back to the end of uh, 2019, just prior to the lockdown, you entered Q School uh, at the age of 44, having not played Q school for 15 odd years, uh, was was there a time when you legitimately thought, that's it for my playing career, I'm done, I've got to look elsewhere? Yeah, it was around that sort of time. Yeah, I remember going to that Q school and just bombing out. I think I only played about two or three rounds. Um, you know, I think I was having more wrist issues at the time, um, flare-ups, and I think it was freezing cold in Spain. I think it was ice on the car in the morning. Um, and, you know, I've got, I, you know, I always fought a bit of the old back here and there. And when it's really cold now, because I'm older, it seems to be very difficult. Um, I, I, I really struggle when it's freezing. Uh, when I'm, when it's warm, I'm fine. Um, but, you know, you know, I, when it's freezing, my body seems to, to lock up and I can't hit the ball as well. Um, so yeah, I you know I bombed out early. I, I think I played dreadfully, but with you know because I I couldn't I didn't quite have the flexibility wrist wise and yeah. Um, then you're starting to think I'm done here. Um, you know which I've had before different points in my career. I had it in '06, I had it in '04. Um, you know and I had it then. So it's sometimes good to hit rock bottom because you know that there's only one way to, you can go after that mm. and it's up. Mm. Well, look, I hear, I hear you're a keen gardener and you, you love a good lawn. Uh, during lockdown last year, how much time were you able to spend on that and, and with your kids as well? Oh, yeah, loads. Uh, I, I, you know, I spent loads in the garden. I built a 15 res, red bed raised garden um, after, you know, buying a bit of land off the neighbour. So, you know, that kept me busy. Um, you know, I I love going in the garden. Love being at home with the family, and more so now. My kids playing football. My boys playing football. Uh, my daughter's playing netball and stuff, and they're all getting into all that. And he's playing cricket as well. And the social on the cricket's fantastic. You take your chair, take your uh, cool box, and sit there, um, just having a few beers with your mates and the other dads watching your son play. I mean, there's nothing better than that. 
Um, you know, so you, you do miss a lot of that, um, you know, and you you miss a lot of them growing up, uh, obviously. So I try not to play too much golf. And when I'm at home, it's family time. and I don't practice much. And I spend as much time as I possibly can with the family in any sport. And I, I go and watch him practice his football in the evening sometimes. So, you know, I just love, you know, that family um, life and and uh, getting involved watching the kids do stuff. It's brilliant. Well, I've got to ask you about the uh, about the garden. What's your favourite vegetable to grow? I mean, surely a Wel- as a Welshman, it's leeks, right? <laughs> do you know, the leeks now are fantastic and they are re- they're harvesting awesome. They're... they're um, big, thick, beautiful, fresh, totally organic leeks, and they are really, really good. But I think if I had to pick a favourite, it'd be squashes. They are they're so so easy, so they grow so quick. And uh, roasted squash, sweet potato soup is something else. It's amazing what you <laughs> what you get into as you're getting older. But um, yeah, we've had loads of fun with that. The sweet corn is incredible as well. That's unbelievable. No, so you've also been hatching chickens too, I believe. How many have you got? How are they doing? Yeah, we hatched um, well, how many? six or seven chicks um, from about 10 eggs. So that was awesome as well. For the kids, they loved it. Uh, me and the missus loved it. We had them in the house for a while. Um, when they're tiny, they're in the house. And um, sometimes you'll come in they're in a big cardboard box with all these heaters and that. And then you'll come back and they've somehow got out and they're on top of your sofa and they've done the business absolutely everywhere. So that wasn't great. But um, I think, yeah, generally it was great stuff. Um, you know, watching them hatch and incubate is brilliant. Well, all these hobbies of yours, and then, of course, obviously getting the joy that you do out of watching your kids play football and, and, and play sport. How important is that for your mental health and being able to get away from the grind of the tour? Oh, yeah. If I go I go in the garden for... I can come home absolutely wound up and... Um, totally headshot, mentally drained and battered after a golf tournament sometimes because of what you put on yourself to perform because you obviously you're not there to just make up the numbers. So if you're not doing well, it's so frustrating. But I go and spend two hours in the garden and I've emptied the cup straight away. I, I don't even remember the golf tournament. Two hours in the garden, um, whether it be turning a compost heap or filling another one or, um, you know, planting tomatoes, you know, melons or whatever it might be growing seeds cuttings you know anything it might be totally forgotten about the golf totally lose yourself in the garden sometimes I can go out there and I'll and I'll say to the miss I'm just going out for an hour and I'll come back in say I've gone out at 10 o'clock and she'll and I'll come back in and say oh should we have some lunch and she'll go well I'm going to pick the kids up from school it's three o'clock you've been out there for five hours and I've not even known you know so you totally I totally lose myself in that and because of that um I've got a clear mind going away playing golf because I've forgotten about what even happened in the last tournament. So it's just mm. well, doing that and spending time with the family. It's just obviously, we do it all, you know, get the kids involved. My daughter loves it. So, um, you know, doing it all together is brilliant. Yeah, I bet. And, and look, after lockdown, 2020 was a very good season for you. You you, you did, uh, you finished uh, in the top 10 on four occasions and then 2021 has been excellent again. Three top fives and including that, Excellent runner-up finish at Wentworth in the BMW PGA. Do you feel the game's getting closer to where it was in those uh, halcyon years, I guess you could call it? Um, yeah, I mean, at Wentworth, I hit some of the... Coming down the the last nine holes, I hit some of the best... I hit two of the best forearms I think I've ever hit. The one into 15 and one into 18 that 
I'm staring at this thing climbing into the sky in on the 15th, thinking, who on earth has hit that? Um, because it's, I never even felt it come off a club face. This thing's climbing, um, drawing towards the flag, and I'm looking at it going, I just don't even know how I've managed to do that. So I hit a sh- quite a few shots there that I had not hit before um, on that level of consistency. Um, so that was enlightening. And, you know, I, um, you know, it was a great week for me. I really fancied, uh, I really fancied winning. I had a put on the last, which I misread, sadly, and didn't go in. But, you know, I, I just had great feelings all week and the game got better as the week went on. So that was brilliant. Um, so, you know, I think the hard thing with when, as you're getting older is consistency. It seems hard sometimes to play that way, like, Two weeks later, I'm hitting it, you know, not nothing like as well. So, you, you know, then you've got to find it again and try and put it all together again and perform again. Um, the consistency, the hardest thing now where, you know, if I'd have had a decent week like that five years ago, I felt as though it's going to be like that every week all year then. Where now mm. um, you're kind of losing it and trying to find it again a bit more. Um, but yeah, so it's been great uh, this year and last year has been really good. Um yeah, and it's nice to, you know, be up there in contention, playing to, to win tournaments again. Well, you're currently 31st in the race to Dubai and locked in for a return to the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai in a, in a few weeks' time. Somewhere where you've had some success in the past, you've played well uh, on previous occasions, you must be pumped to get back there. Yeah, it's great. You know, I love, it's such a great feeling going there because you know you've had a decent season um, depending on where you are on the money list, obviously. Um, but to to be there now for me, the last couple of years have been brilliant. Um, I do enjoy playing that golf course. I've not, you know, I've had a few decent finishes there. I think a few couple, couple of top tens, maybe one. Um, but I always feel as though it's a course that I play well at, but don't play quite well enough. So I'll be looking to go there to see if I can um, find a way to... Uh, you know, do even better and try and contend uh, to, to win there. But it's a really strong golf course um, that you just have to play really well around. So uh, I'll be going there to do that. Well, what can we expect to see in the future for uh, Jamie Donaldson? Have we seen the best of you yet? Um, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but no, I, you don't know with golf, do you? You never know what's coming. Um, so as long as you put yourself in a position to play as well as you can possibly play and let golf, um, you know, let the good golf take care of itself, you never know what can happen. It's just got to keep a positive, open mind and and be as patient as possible. So um, I'd like to say, no, you haven't. But, um, you know, time is catching up with me and things are getting harder. The guys are getting better. But, you know, after the way I played at Wentworth, you, you never know. Well, mate, look, thanks very much for joining us on the Life on Tour podcast. It's been terrific to see the career resurgence uh, the last 18 months to to two years, and congratulations on everything uh, you have achieved, and fingers crossed the best golf is yet to come. Thank you very much. I hope so too. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you.